Banning the Bible in Keller. This week, the day before school started in Keller, that's a district of Fort Worth or Dallas, I'm not sure, that's in Texas. The Bible, along with 41 other books, were removed from the district libraries. Well, I think it's from, the, from a school. What do we make of this? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Fishing for Men with Mac. Yeah, by me, it's Friday, the 19th of August, and I'm coming to you here from Sweet Home in Oregon, USA. Welcome to this podcast that is aimed at reasonably talking about worldview issues. And for simplicity's sake, for those of you who don't know what a worldview is, very simply, it's the way that you view the world. I have a Christian worldview. I view what happens in life through the, the tenets of the Christian faith. Now, I try to do one podcast a week uh, in a way that connects with both believers and non-believers in Christ. And I hope that this podcast will also be inviting to you if you are not a Christian. And that is fine. Wherever you stand, you are welcome. Now, let me just remind you just now and then I have to say this. I think it's a good idea to say this. What is this all about? What is a worldview all about? Well, it's about four questions. Four questions that every human being on the earth has to deal with. If you're a reasonable person, you have to deal with these four questions. And you can summarize them into four words. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Origin asks the question, where do I come from? Where do we come from? Where did all of this start? Meaning is, what's the purpose of life? Morality. How do I know what's right and wrong? And destiny, where do I go when I die? Where am I going? And you have to, I have to, we all have to figure out the answer, answers to those four questions. And I try to touch on those questions as I do podcasts. And it helps people just establish where they stand on their worldviews. And um, yeah, so question today, should you continue listening? Well, Do you think Bibles should be banned from school libraries? If you had or, uh, you know, if, if, if you had a teenager or you have a teenager that reads books, would you let them read books about sexually explicit material? If you believe in the Bible, let me ask this question. Should we defend it or can it defend itself? If you're interested in these questions and the curveball that took place in Killer, Texas. You want to hear more about that story? Then stick around. Coming up is a brief explanation today of what is going on there. What, what, what happened? What is this all about? And what's the story about the removal of books? And then I'll talk about some of the, the persecution of the Bible and some ideas about the Bible and sort of deal with the scenario that's happening down there in Texas. And I've got a short clip for you about... Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson having a discussion with Joe Rogan on the Bible. So let's go. Killer, Texas. And uh, when I initially heard about this story, I thought, oh, that's pretty interesting. I've been to Killer, Texas. The first time I came to the United States, I landed in Killer, Texas. In 2007, I had the privilege and the honor of serving as an intern, a youth ministry intern at Keller Church of Christ in Keller. And that was a big church. It was a passionate church. It was a, it's a powerful church. And, and it's, it's situated in a very Bible-rich, Christian 
environment. It is smack bang in the middle of what people call the Bible Belt. So what happened there? How does a community like that end up with libraries that no longer host the Bible? Apparently, if you live in Keller, you can go and complain and request the review and the removal of books in the libraries of that district. And I think in this specific instance, it was related to a school or a, a few schools. So you can go, you can object to the books your kids could potentially read at school. And I think that's, that's a pretty good idea. I would like to have a say on which type of books my kids will be reading when they do go to school. And so um, this has been done apparently for a few years. And, and even last year, this was done. And then again this year... Um, and, and some books were removed previously, and then they were reviewed, and then they were returned again. And But this year, 41 books were removed. Now, at the moment, I think it's going into some type of review, and these books w could potentially be uh, returned. And of course, the headlines everywhere is that the Bible has been removed from a school library in Texas. The Christians are going crazy they are up in arms this is the end of the world this is the end of the faith now satan is in power and you see you see you see this is what's happening in our world the the bible is being rejected it's being thrown out of the bible belt but what happened there and there is a difficult curveball coming for you if you are a christian so let me first start by naming some of the other books that were also banned along with the Bible. There were a few LGBTQ books that were removed, some queer books. Now, I can imagine that this was called for by uh, conservative Christian folks. So conservative Christian parents, they went to this district office or whatever, I, I don't know how the process works, and then said, hey, you've got these LGBTQ books in your library, I don't want my kid to read that. Um, in actual fact, if I lived in that area and my kid was going to a school and I knew that those books were in there, I would also probably petition the same thing. I don't want those books near my kids. Um, now, I quickly looked at two books, two of the books that have been removed. The first book is entitled, All Boys Aren't Blue. Now, you can imagine where that is going. And that book is about the reflections of a man by the name of George M. Johnson and him and his life. You know, about how he grew up as a black person and also a queer. Um, now, that book has been removed from the libraries in eight American states. Um, I, I had to go just look up this word queer just again to make sure that I understand it. But queer basically means that you are not heterosexual. It, it is sort of an umbrella term for people who don't subscribe to cisgender and heterosexual. In other words, gay, homosexual. And so this book is about this guy, his life story about how he grew up uh, in, in a, as a black person in a black community where he was gay. Uh, now Time magazine asked this guy, George M. Johnson, why he wrote this book. And this is what he said. He said, you know what, I thought it was important that people started to learn that this world exists 
what world is he talking about? He's talking about the homosexual world. That this queer world exists outside of a heterosexual bubble. So if you are a heterosexual person, you are living in a bubble. Um, I think it is really important that young white boys and white girls and whomever else have to start to learn about us too. And so you see there, the reason why he wrote this book is because he wants to promote the queer lifestyle. He wants to get it out there and say, this is a legitimate, normal, natural lifestyle. And the people who say men marry men, uh, men marry women, um, those people need to get, they need to pop their little bubble and they need to wake up that there's a reality uh, apart from their heterosexual um, lived experience. Then there's, so that's the one book. That's the one book that was banned. There was another book that is called Gender Queer. And that is also a memoir of uh, Maya Kobabe. Now that book, for example, was banned from Alaska. And the reason for that is because of sexually explicit content. And that is also probably the reason why it has been removed in this instance. Now in both these books, I'm just pointing out these two books, the reason why they were called for uh, to be removed from the library is because they contain sexually explicit material. Okay, but the purpose of these books, if you ask the authors, why did you write it? They wouldn't say, well, we wrote it to, to provide sexually explicit material for kids. They, they would say, well, we wrote it so that marginalized kids... That kid who sits in the class in the corner and, and doesn't understand his sexuality and, and finds himself, you know, that boy that's attracted to the other boy in the class. You know, this, this book will give him hope so that he can read the story and find hope and, and see that somebody else has gone through this and, and help them to, to, to go on with their lives and realize that this is normal and great. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it is so difficult. You know, our kids have to be educated. But people are concerned. I mean, surely there needs to be some education. But people are concerned that this type of education that you find in these books turns into indoctrination. And where do you draw the line between educating a person and indoctrinating a kid with a vulnerable mind? And so it's understandable why people kicked against these books. Our kids have to learn. They've got to learn about racism. They've got to understand that. They've got to learn about slavery. They've got to learn about the history uh, of America, okay? But these authors, they are trying to make their lifestyle, their sexual preferences, they're trying to make that acceptable and normal. They want their sexual choices to be made acceptable. They are looking for a bigger crowd of people to support their normal, okay? In a society where it's not normal, okay? And so, What's the best place to go start that? Which is the best way to get people to agree with you? Well, start teaching them when they are young. Now, this grates at me. It, it grates at me because this is trying to, this mindset is trying to normalize unnatural sex. And I say it straight. And, and there might be some things that I'm going to say today that is very explicit. And it, it might probably also, this podcast might be removed from the children's library. Luckily, I think that most people that listen to this podcast are not 10-year-old kids. What these guys are doing, without them saying it, is that they are trying to normalize unnatural sex. Now, you would find, and 
I've mentioned this possibly before, um, a guy like Lawrence Krauss in, in debate with William Lane Craig, he would even say straightforward. He would say straightforward. You know, we used to think that homosexuality is unnatural, but now we know science has proven to us that homosexuality is actually normal. It happens in the animal kingdom, right? And you go look at the animal kingdom. You have They observed that there were two geese, male geese, that would stick to each other for years. They would stick together, and then they would say, well, look, there's homosexuality in the animal kingdom. Or they would say, well, you, you know, here's these two fish swimming together, or here's to, um, you know, here's a male dog that's busy humping another male dog. You've seen this, or a female dog that is humping another female dog. Um, this is evidence of homosexual behavior. Therefore, homosexual behavior is normal. Now, I'm going to say something very explicit, and I ask you to forgive me. If you want to, you can just um, go, you know, just mute for a second. But I have not found one instance. I have not read up on any instance or found any instance where a male animal has rectal sex with another animal, with another male animal. I've not seen that anywhere. And I don't believe there is any such instance. Why not? Because it's unnatural. You see, in order for homosexual male sex to happen, there needs to be um, help from outside. There needs to be lubrication that comes from outside. Because the tools involved in the process don't produce natural lubrication. Now, I know this is vulgar, and I know it's explicit. I'm trying to keep it as neat as possible. But I just want to make the point. There is no such thing as this act, this sexual act, to be natural. It's not natural. The organs involved cannot produce the lubrication that's necessary for this type of sexual activity to be deemed normal. And now, books in children's libraries are trying to say, no, but it's normal. You know, why not? And here's my question to these guys. Why not write a book about all the other matters? Because if you ask them, you know, what are you rooting for? What, what do you really want to get out of this? You know what? I want to help kids that feel marginalized. I want to help kids who are struggling with their emotions. I want to help kids who struggle to fit into their, their, their uh, attributed you know, gender at birth. That's fine. Then write about that. But why do you have to include explicit sexual stuff in the things that you write? One of the CNN commentators on the story said that this thing will sort of blow over as time progresses and it will become more the norm and acceptable as culture matures. I think he was the he was a guy from Montana. You know, so so you were sort of saying, you know what? Um, you know, this will blow over. Eventually, all these books will be accepted in, in children's um, libraries. And then he says, I mean, think about back into the history. You know, when I was young, there was a, a book that was called Our Bodies, Ourselves. I think that's the, the title. And that was a book that was about um, teaching you uh, to accept your body. And it's giving you information about your physical body, your genitalia and all of those things and how your body works. Now, in the 70s, I think it was, this book was sort of banned from libraries. Now, kids mustn't read these types of things. And so he uses that as an example. And he says, well, now schools accept that. And over time, you know, schools started accepting this and parents started accepting this, that ed being educated about your own body is a good thing. There's nothing dirty or ugly about it. And therefore, at this moment, culture is sort of struggling a little bit to accept gender queer, uh, you know, queer, 
gender issues, you know, all of the LGBTQ stuff. And so <clears throat> with time, that's going to normalize and these books are going to be accepted just like that book was accepted. But th you can't compare the two. That's a bad example. You can't compare it because that book, Our Bodies Ourselves, teaches you about your natural body. That's normal. Yes, eventually it becomes um, more acceptable to talk about these things and not hide it. It's like things that you taught your child in the Victorian era was definitely different than the things that you taught your child. The explicitness of things changes as, as time progresses. But these books and these libraries are not teaching you about natural things. It's teaching you about the unnatural things that you could do with your body. The unnatural things that you could do with your body. Now, I really battle with, you know, with that uh, sometimes. The queer community condemns Christians for disagreeing with their lifestyle choices based on love. They say, well, you guys, you don't want people to love each other. So you are condemning love. No, not at all. The Bible does not condemn love. I don't condemn love. I want people to have love. That's not what we are condemning. We are condemning the sex. I'm just going to say it straight out. That is the problem. That is the problem. The sex, that is the problem. The vulgar, unnatural sex involved in the situation. I mean, a man that loves a man, great. Why do you have sex? Why do you have to have sex? You don't have to unnatural sex to love someone. There are many men in my life that I love. I, I do love them. I don't have a romantic bent towards them. I don't lust after their physical bodies. You see, the perversion is the problem with this sexuality. It's the perversion that's the problem. It is the sexuality. But then when a queer writes a book, he says it's not about the sex. It's not about the lust. It's about the principles of being marginalized and, and all of that and acceptance and equality and all of those wonderful things, which we all agree with. Okay, When the queer writes a book, he fills it with sexually explicit material. Do you see the problem? That, I believe, is the core reason why some people, whether they're Christian or not, you can call them right-wing people, whatever you want to call them, struggle to wrap their minds around um, the pr promotions of the LGBT community when it comes to uh, homosexuality. But anyway, so keep that in your mind. That's the reason why these books were rejected from the library. And we can, we can sort of imagine who brought it about. But now here's the question. What about the Bible? And yes, this is where the curveball is coming. What about the Bible? How did the Bible get removed? Now, this is what I think happened. The LGBTQ parents became fed up with the conservative Christian parents who wanted the LGBTQ books removed from the library. They got fed up. And so they decided, you know what? If this is how they want to play it, we'll do the same thing. So they then decided to target the most valuable book of the conservative Christians, which is what? The Bible. The Bible. It makes sense. But things get a bit stickier. These LGBTQ parents had to give a reason why the Bible had to be kicked out of the libraries. And some of the research I got says that the following were some of the arguments that they brought up as to why Bibles should not be included in school libraries. 
So this is what one article said. The inclusion of the Bible in the Dallas area school district's libraries was first challenged in November 2021 by a parent who whined that it contained inappropriate content, including sexual content, violence, including rape, murder, human sacrifice, misogyny, if you don't know what that is, that's dis a dislike towards women, homophobia, discrimination, and other inappropriate content. Now that person apparently withdrew the complaint a month later. Two more challenges to the Christian holy book were made around the same time in February by different people, one of whom claimed that it, it is a map to slavery. The Bible is a map to slavery, a map to incest, a map to sex between a donkey and a woman, a map to misogyny, a map to murder, and a map to pedophilia. You name it, it's in there, the person said. The other parent griped that religion doesn't belong in public schools. The, this book also describes multiple acts of sexuality and violence. Do you see the reasons that they give why the Bible should be excluded? Whoopsie. That was pretty clever, wasn't it? They used the same arguments as the conservatives on the Bible of the conservatives. Now, how do we unpack this? How do we deal with it? What do you say when somebody says that to you? Hey, don't give a Bible to my kid. There are people getting murdered in there. There's rape in there. There's sexual content. You want to go on about our LGBTQ book with sexually explicit material in? What about the Bible? Murder, guts, the Son of Man gets nailed to a cross. How do you make sense of that? I'd like to make two points. Two points. Firstly, whether you believe in God or not, removing the Bible from any library is deeply foolish. I'll repeat that. Whether you believe in God or not, removing the Bible from any library is deeply foolish. Why? Here's why. It is the first book that ever existed. Now you're thinking, yeah, that, that can't be. Ladies and gentlemen, go research this yourself. It is the first book that ever existed. All books, all writing has its foundation in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying this biasedly from my Christian perspective. It is literally the truth. The thing, the book, the Bible, it was the first book ever printed. And if you don't take my word for it, yes, somebody who hasn't really said he's a Christian or not, great professor, philosopher, I've spoken about him before, Jordan Peterson, he explains to Joe Rogan why the Bible is so amazing. Now, listen to this. It is complex. It's about four minutes long. Don't be concerned. Um, I'll quickly explain it at the end. If you don't get it, listen to how he came to realize how amazing the Bible is. One, maybe agnostic, I think a believer, speaking to an agnostic in Joe Rogan. The Joe Rogan experience. If categories dis 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 dissolve, especially fundamental ones, the culture is dissolving because the culture is a structure of category. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Right. So, and in fact, culture is a culture is a structure of category that we all share. So we see things the same way. 
Well, that's why we can talk. I mean, not exactly the same way, because then we'd have nothing to talk about. But roughly speaking, we have a bedrock of agreement. Uh, that's the Bible, by the way. So I just walked through the Museum of the Bible in Washington. That was very cool. It's a very cool museum. So the structure, that's what the Bible Yeah, that's what provides. I figured out. I've been, I just figured this out this week. So it was a cool, it was a cool thing to walk through because it's, it's chronological. They have one floor, which is the history of the Bible. Mm. But it's not exactly that. It's really what it is, is the history of the book. Now, in many ways, the first book was the Bible. I mean, literally, because at one point there was only one book, like as far as our Western culture is concerned, there was one book. And for a while, literally, there was only one book. And that book was the Bible. And then before it was the Bible, it was, a, you know, it was scrolls and it was writings on papyrus. And, but it was, we were starting to aggregate written text together. And it went through all sorts of technological transformations. And then it became books that everybody could buy, the book everybody could buy. And the first one of those was the Bible. And then it became all sorts of books that everybody could buy. But all those books, in some sense, emerged out of that underlying book. And that book itself, the Bible isn't a book, it's a library. It's a collection of books. And so what I figured out was partly because I was talking to my brother-in-law, Jim Keller, who's the world's greatest chip designer and has now designed a chip that's as powerful as the human brain, which is optimized for artificial intelligence learning, by the way. And so I talked to him about that. He said, you heard of the internet? I said, yeah, Jim, I've heard of the internet. He said, this is way more revolutionary than that. So in any case, we were talking about meaning in text because we were talking about translation and the problem of understanding text. And Jim said, the meaning of words is coded in the relationship of the words to one another. And the postmodernists make that case that all meaning is derived from the relationship between words. That's, that's wrong because, well, what about rage? That's not words. And what about moving your hand? That's not words. So it's wrong, mm -hmm. but, but part of it's right because the meaning we derive from the verbal domain is encoded in the relationship between words. So, so now then you think, well, let's think about the relationship between words. Well, some words are dependent on other words. Some ideas are dependent on other ideas. The more ideas are dependent on a given idea, the more fundamental that idea is. By de that's a definition of fundamental. So now imagine you have an aggregation of texts in a civilization. You say, which are the fundamental texts? And the answer is, the texts upon which most other texts depend. And so you'd put Shakespeare way in there in English because so many texts are dependent on Shakespeare's literary revelations. And Milton would be in that category, and Dante would be in that category, at least in translation. Fundamental authors, part of the Western canon, not because of the arbitrary dictates of power, but because those texts influenced more other texts. And then you think about that as a hierarchy, okay, with the Bible at its base, which is certainly the case. Now imagine that's the entire corpus of, ling of linguistic production, all things considered. Now, how do you understand that? Like, literally, how do you understand that? The answer is, you sample it by reading and listening to stories and listening to people talk. You sample that whole domain. You build a low-resolution representation of that in your, inside you. And then you listen and see through that. And so it isn't that the Bible is true. It's that the Bible is the precondition 
for the manifestation of truth, which makes it way more true than just true. It's a whole different kind of true. And I think this is, I think this is not only literally the case, factually, I think it can't be any other way. It's the only way we can solve the problem of perception. Now, I know that sounded complex, but the Bible, in essence, is the father of books. Even if you don't believe in it, it is still the most sold book in the world. You can go research this yourself. It's the most sold book in the world. It is the most read book in the world. There is no other book on the planet that has had as many eyes on it as the Bible. It's the most printed book in the world. It is the most translated book in the world. It is the most purchased book in the world. And it is the book that has had the greatest impact on humanity. Now, you can go and Google everything I've just said and you will see that it's true. Now, you are pretty dumb to remove this book from any library. Really? You want to remove the most sold book in the world, the most read book in the world, the most purchased book in the world, the most translated book in the world, the foundation of all the books? You, you want to take that book, you want to remove it from your library? That's not a good idea. In actual fact, the term Bible means library of books. Okay? The Bible is the first library of its kind. And you want to remove it from a library? Are you insane? It's the ultimate example. The ultimate um, library of libraries. So, whether you believe in God or not, to remove the Bible from any library is deeply foolish. But let's look at the accusations laid against the content of this Bible. Before I look at each item, let me just say, People don't rape because they read of a story in the Bible of someone being raped. They don't kill because they read in the Bible about someone being killed. I've never heard of any kid wanting to have abnormal sex with someone because the Bible inspired them to do so. Now these books, these other books that have been removed, they have the potential to confuse young impressionable minds about gender confusion and unnatural sex. In other words, it inspires kids to embrace anti-biological sex. That's what it does. Alright, so you can't compare the two. The Bible isn't written with the idea in it to inspire the things that these people criticize it of. Yet... The things we criticize these LGBTQ books for are actually the things that it inspires children to do. hope that makes sense. Now let's go over it. Does the Bible... I'm going to go over the list of the reasons why the people don't want these books in the library. Does the Bible uh, have explicit sexual content? Well, it does have con sexual content, so let's give it yes. Is there violence in the Bible, including rape? Yes, there is. Is there murder in the Bible? Yes, there is. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is murdered. Is there human sacrifice? Well, depends on how you look at it. Not really. Misogyny? Is there misogyny in the Bible? A dislike towards women? Absolutely not. The Bible lifts up women. The Bible, I mean, Mary uh, 
the mother of Jesus, she was at the cross. Jesus spent lots of time with women. There were women servants. I mean, go read Proverbs chapter 31. The Holy Spirit talks about the power of powerful women. So, no, there's no misogyny in the Bible. Homophobia, no. According to that definition, what homophobia is, no. That's just a word used to sort of try and uh, creep under the skin of the Christian. Discrimination, no. And other inappropriate content, uh, it is, a, is it a map of slavery? No. It is a map to incest? No. Is it a map to sex between a donkey and a woman? No, that's ridiculous. I don't even know where they get that from. I would like to see that text. Uh, once again, misogyny, uh, murder, yes, pedophilia, no. Where in the Bible do we read about that? Okay, um, and then they say this book also describes multiple acts of sexuality and violence. Yes, there, there is some sexuality and violence in the Bible. Now, 90% of what these people say are in the Bible are actually not there. They, they just think it's there because the Bible condemns unnatural sex. Now suddenly, you know, the God of the Bible and everybody in the Bible, they're just homophobes. They fear uh, homosexual people. That's just not true. Because the Bible says that there are different roles for men and women and that men are supposed to protect their families. Oh, no, no, no. Now we're looking down on women. Are you saying that they can't protect their families? Well, the man will do a better job because generally speaking, men are stronger than women. And so now we look at the Bible from this perspective, trying to be critical of it um, in order to discredit it. So 90% of what these people say is in the Bible is actually not there. But what about the things that are in the Bible? How do we deal with that? What about the sexual content? Now, let's talk about this for a moment. When the Bible talks about sex between a man and a woman in the Bible... It is respectful. It is clean. It's never vulgar. It's not explicit. And it is not unnatural. Sex is natural. It's something that we can talk about. So does the Bible have sexual content? Yes, it does. It is normal. Sex brings life. There are sections of scripture that do depict what the ungodly do. It depicts their godless deeds in order to condemn it. But even then it is not explicit. Yes, there are incidents of rape, but that's mentioned in the Bible because the Bible condemns it. It doesn't inspire that type of lifestyle. And it, it's, it's said in such a way as to encourage the readers not to do that. The other books in question that, you know, it's also thrown out of this, this library, they seek to draw readers in to accept and practice its sexually explicit encounters. It literally projects the idea, and I'll say it as it is, that the, the, the rectum is, uh, is suitable for sexual activity, that it's been designed that way, that, it, that it's natural and normal. That's literally, if you want to take it down to the bare roots, that's what this book is saying. That's in the library with kids. So in other words, it is promoting and the very thing that um, is opposed to the Christian faith. The Bible does have sections of text dealing with sexuality, and it should have it. And it always promotes healthy and natural sexuality, and it isn't focused on promoting lust, but love and deep intimacy. Is there violence in the Bible, Bible, including rape and murder? Oh yes, there are loads of instances of murder. There are a few instances of rape, like I said, but the Bible is only recording these rapes 
not asking for it to be um, to be copied. And the stories of rape carry with them the historical consequences of those rapes. So it is great teaching material for kids contemplating doing such things. Murder in the Bible is, you know, the Bible is full of it. Jesus was murdered. People dying cannot be removed from our lived experience. It is everywhere. So it is part of our lived reality. Once again, the Bible doesn't call on people to murder others. It asks for the opposite, to give our lives up for others. Now, yes, there are Old Testament passages that calls on God's people to murder our tribes. God also killed thousands with the flood. And, you know, just to give you a snippet of that, I'll do a podcast on that sometime to deal specifically with that. Um, you know, it, I find it interesting that people would look at what's happening, would look at, you know, how can God tell people to go kill other people? Well, do you believe that the American government should not move in and kill people like Osama bin Laden? Do you think that killing is never legitimately a good reason? So we've got to be careful when we place judgments on the Bible and God's, uh, um, when, when murder takes place by God's people, we've got to be very careful on that to, to point judgment towards that when our own country does that as well. And we live in a country where there is the death penalty as well. So got to be careful on, on that. And so, yes, there's lots to discuss about that. And there are good explanations for those instances, which I think I'll cover in a later podcast. Um, but I think I have actually done a podcast on that previously as well. So let's just close off for today. The Bible, yes, it's the most read book in the world, the most printed book in the world, the most translated book in the world, the most sold book in the world, but it's also the most persecuted book in the world. It has always been and it will be until the end of time because it says things that people don't want to hear. Don't fret about it. Don't be scared. The word of God will never be chained. It will never be stopped. It will never be killed. Listen to what the great apostle said from prison. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. I want to give you a challenge. If you believe in it, if you believe in the scriptures, memorize it. Memorize it. It will change you from the inside out. If it is in you, nobody can take it from you. Remember, Jesus lived before the Bible existed. And we need Jesus. And you can have Jesus. Whether your Bible gets burnt up outside or not, you can still have Jesus. The early Christians loved Jesus before they even had the Bible. May God bless you. Love you. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye.